This is EntreEd Talk, the podcast for entrepreneurial educators by entrepreneurial educators. We are your hosts, Toy Hirschman and Amber Ravenscroft. This podcast is created by the National Consortium for Entrepreneurship Education, or EntreEd for short. Hi, and welcome everybody to the EntreTalk podcast. This is Toy, and I have Amber Ravenscroft with me as well. And we are so excited to be with our guest, Russ Siegel. Russ is the executive director of the Sequoia Fund in Cherokee, North Carolina. And one of the Sequoia's Fund's major programs is the Real Entrepreneurship Program. And it's an experiential learning-based curriculum that's used in schools, colleges, and community organizations around the world. We're very excited to learn more about that. Uh, Before joining the Sequoia Fund in 2009, Russ owned several small businesses and served as the Small Business Center Director for Southwestern Community College in Silva, North Carolina, where he became involved with the real curriculum back in 1999. In addition to his role at Sequoia Fund, he's also a professional speaker and trainer, an open book management expert, and as he Shared with us a pretty okay golfer as well. (laughs) So welcome, Russ. We're so excited to have you. Good to virtually see you again. (laughs) Likewise. Good to see you too. We're really excited. Russ has been, uh, you know, a friend and partner for EntreEd for many years now. And Russ, I know that we want to talk a little bit about, we'll probably go very in-depth into real entrepreneurship, but I was wondering if you could give us an overarching summary of the Sequoia Fund and kind of the work that you're doing in that space. Sure. So the Sequoia Fund is a native CDFI. CDFIs are all over the country. It's a community development finance institution. We're chartered by the U.S. Treasury, and it's a way for organizations to bring real economic development dollars to small communities, underserved communities. It started under Clinton and was supposed to sunset under George Bush, but it's a program that works. And so nobody wants it to go away. And so we, we continue to get funded. It really is a way for banks and the federal government to push money into smaller rural underserved uh, communities, even some urban communities across the country that banks just don't go into. So our primary objective is helping small businesses get started, helping small businesses expand. And we have a very small footprint when it comes to that. We are located on the Koala boundary in Cherokee, North Carolina. Uh, It straddles a couple of rural counties and borders Tennessee. But we also have a seven-county service area that we operate in, and that's where we lend money. And so in in terms of the the Sequoia Fund aspect, we, we serve a very limited market. But back in 2015, we had an opportunity to actually purchase Real. Real was a, its own organization. It was based in Durham, North Carolina at the time and had been there since the mid-80s. Uh, but they hit some rough patches with, with financing and were not able to continue with some grant funding that they had. And, and the decision was made to shutter the organization and to disband. And our board at the time, we had about half of our board members were Real certified and we had an opportunity to take over that organization. And being a nonprofit, uh, as a 501c3, we met the criteria because in their bylaws, it said that they could only transfer real to a 501c3. So we became the, uh, the white knight that rode in and was able to save that, that organization. We're very happy and very proud to, to be able to do that. Uh, but we've been around for about 20 years uh, as well. We've been um, serving Western North Carolina, again, uh, mostly rural 
underserved, underbanked area. Uh, and we've always been involved in training. And so uh, I actually came to Sequoia Fund because of my involvement in real. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. So I get one Godfather reference a week. If anybody uh, who I work with <laughs> hears this, they'll, they'll know that this is my one Godfather reference. But I was, I was having breakfast with, with my predecessor, the former executive director, and, and we were coming up with some training schedules for the year uh, that I was going to do through the community college. And she said, wouldn't this just be easier if you came to work for us? And I said, well, make me an offer I can't refuse. And we'll talk about it. And she did. And so here I am. Baseline question. And I think this is just something that I should know, but I don't. So here's my ignorance showing. But what does real stand for? Ah, good question. So real originally stood for rural entrepreneurship through action learning. Okay. And and it was built on rural principles with rural examples. Over the years, we've had people ask, you know, can I use this in Philadelphia? Can I use this in an urban setting? Can I use this in downtown Charlotte, North Carolina or Raleigh or wherever? And and we're actually now in 43 states and 12 foreign countries. So it is not limited to rural. So when we took over real, we took out the acronym. Uh, we, we still have roots in rural. That is where we are and that's where we're going to stay. But whether you're in Lexington, Kentucky, Lincoln, Nebraska or Los Angeles, Break even is break even. Cash flow is cash flow. Uh, marketing is marketing. And so we're not going to limit the use of real to just rural areas. Very cool. Um, can you speak a little bit about the, the mission and goals of real and who do you reach out to predominantly to do trainings and right. different kinds of workshops? We are staying true to Reels Roots, the way it was built in the early 1980s, it was it was actually developed by Dr. Jonathan Scher and Dr. Paul DeLargy. They were educators. One was in Georgia, one was in North Carolina. They started thinking about ways to bring entrepreneurship education into schools, and they were they were two of the first people to do this. And it was based on the premise that we're teaching kids how to go out and get jobs, but we're not teaching kids how to go out and create jobs. And they built this on the experiential learning cycle as a way really to reach any student anywhere, no matter their learning style. And because we know that there are students who are not as challenged in school, the bored kids, the, the ones who, who uh, get pigeonholed as ne'er-do-wells. I was that kid, you know, I, I sat and I just wasn't doing what I wanted to do most of the time. And so I ignored half of what I was being shoveled. And uh, I think if I'd had something, you know, I was, the, I was the nerdy kid in high school. I was reading Inc. Magazine. I was reading Entrepreneur Magazine, Success Magazine. I was, and everybody else was reading Sports Illustrated and ESPN Magazine and, and, and other things. And, and I was just into different things. They realized early on that every kid has a thing. And for some kids, work is that thing. And wanting to start a business is that thing. And everybody has a, an entrepreneurial spark inside them. So when they, when they designed this, they rolled it out throughout North Carolina. And it was, uh, it was very well received. And, and so we wanted to stay true to our educational roots. So we are very heavily invested in educational institutions. Uh, throughout the 90s, it became more uh, widespread in community colleges. Uh, it's now used in university settings as well as uh, some MBA programs are using parts of real as well to to round out their curriculum. And I, we actually have people who, who come through our program and they have master's degrees. And they said, why did nobody ever teach me how to put together a cash flow projection like this. They were teaching me how to read a cash flow that had to do with a Fortune 500 company. 
and it has no relevance to my small pet store or my little mom and pop uh, store. So how do how did I get through all of this education and not learn this stuff? And so for years, we have held institutes uh, throughout the country where we invite teachers, community-based organizations, uh, anybody who's interested in entrepreneurship education to come and, and learn how to teach real. We believe that you do not have to be a content expert to teach real. Uh, and in fact, I'm going to change the, the the terminology there a little bit. We don't use the word teach. We say facilitate, uh, which is that everything we do is very participant-centered, very participant-led, and a good facilitator uh, can do this and does not have to be a successful business owner, does not even have to be an educator. I didn't come from an educational background. My wife is a teacher, and she brings a very interesting perspective to what we're doing now. But when I went through Real, it was a two-week certification process. And half of that time was deprogramming teachers who did not understand experiential education. And then the other half of the time was trying to embed this, this uh, experiential learning cycle and the whole process of Real into them so that they didn't go back to what they were doing before. Over time, we were able to get that training to a week. Uh, but a lot of that was still spent trying to deprogram old ways, old habits, uh, spoon feeding information, unidirectional uh, teaching. Now we have it at three days. We tried to make it more digestible, more affordable. And the main reason that we're able to do that is because teachers now are coming out of school. They're, they're getting education in experiential learning. So it's not a foreign concept anymore. It's something that they already grasp. And, and now we can really focus in on here's how to teach real. We do have a cookbook. It is a formula. Uh, again, being built on the experiential learning cycle, it's, it's easy to pick up. And for somebody who, who's not an educator, you can look at it and say, okay, as long as I follow the recipe, I'm going to get the cake. Uh, educators now can look at this and say, this is exactly what we've been looking for all along because it fits the experiential learning cycle that we've been told about, but I didn't really have the tools to make it work in the classroom. I think it would be really beneficial for our, our listeners if we talk a little bit about like what you mean by experiential learning cycle, because I know we've heard that term a couple of times and it's very, I mean, like the new term, I think in, in education is project-based or problem-based learning, very right. similar. I'm sure there right. are a lot of parallels, but maybe if you could debrief like a little bit about what you mean by experiential learning, the cycle around it. Sure. So everything that we do in real begins with an experience. We want to take people through an example of something. We want them to do a project. We want them to solve a problem. Now, with adults who come through our program, either through a continuing education setting or through a community-based setting, a lot of those folks come into that setting thinking, okay, I'm going to start a pet grooming service. I want to learn about pet grooming. And so they're very disappointed when they hear about RV parks and handmade table businesses and, and uh, all, all kinds of other, they say, well, this is not relevant to me. I, I want to start a grooming business. And why am I talking about catering businesses? And what we, what we really try to do is get them out of their limited space. We want them to take the blinders off and realize that business is business. And, and by working on a different type of business or a different type of problem, then they can start to see the relevance to their own business. And so they go through this experience uh, after that, there's a reflection piece. Uh, there are learners who who get more out of the discussion than the actual problem they've just solved. 
there are people who are very auditory. They like to talk about things and discuss and get different viewpoints and perspectives. And so real gives them the ability to, to follow up the activity with some questions. We build in those questions for the facilitator so that he or she doesn't even have to think about what, what follow up questions. Now, you can always add your own, but you don't have to create this from whole cloth. It, it builds the discussion into the process. After that, then we talk about uh, expanding that. Okay, so now that you've, you've been through this activity about a catering business, how do you expand that to think more about how it applies to your dog grooming business? And from there, we help them apply it, which means we're going to help them put it into their business plan. We're going to help them build their own cash flow. Uh, we're going to help them put their plan together to work in their business so that they can take what they've learned over here and put it to work over there. And I think uh, the power of that process is really illustrated in a meeting that I had. It was, it was a, a chance meeting that I, I ran into one of my very first students a couple of years ago. And she and her family owned two businesses. They owned a video store, which we don't see many of those anymore. It was very popular at the time. Uh, kind of dates me a little bit. But they also had an industrial supply business. And she didn't recognize me. I didn't have, I didn't have a beard back then. But she, uh, she gave me a hug and she said, Russ, I got to tell you, the stuff that I learned 20 years ago in this program, I use every day. And boy, it, might, it was like the Grinch. My heart swelled five <laughs> sizes that day. And uh, <laughs> not that I'm a Grinch, but boy, it just, it made me feel good to know that, that things that people went through 20 years ago are still memorable. They're still relevant. They're still using those tools that they got. And, and I think that we tend to teach the way we learn best. And I don't think that has changed over the years. I think there's still a tendency and a lot of folks have gotten very good at being able to adapt their their teaching style and modify their teaching style to meet the needs of students. But we, we still tend to lean toward what's comfortable for us. I believe the beauty of real is that it, it touches people who did not have a great educational experience or may not be having a great educational experience. There, there are kids in school. Uh, we, 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 we see this all the time. Teacher comes in and says, well, look, you're not going to get a whole lot of discussion out of this class. They're not going to talk a lot. They're not going to do a lot. So good luck. <laughs> and, and five minutes into a real activity, the place is buzzing. I mean, everybody's up doing things. They're talking. They're, they're being active. And we're thinking, is it us? Is it them? Or is it something else? Um, because we, we were just told this class is not going to move. They're not going to speak. They're not going to do anything. And here they are doing things, talking. And, and some of them are not having great educational experiences. And, and what we hear a lot of times when we leave is, boy, I wish we got to do this every day. Yeah, we, well, I do too. <laughs> yeah, we, we, Amber and I are very, very familiar with that. And she's had, Amber's had so many, you know, teachers say, uh, we just talked to a teacher not too long ago that said, you know, this, the student I get nothing out of the student. And then suddenly they do this experiential activity mm -hmm. of entrepreneurship and boom, the student, this little kid comes to life. And I, I think a, a lot of times the, the hurdle now, like you said, Russ, is, is not so much getting teachers to understand experiential learning, because that's a kind of a fundamental part now of teacher training programs. There's still a lot of that sage on the stage mentality, though, for some reason mm -hmm. that, that that old guard is kind of holding on to that. But what the what our hurdle is a lot of times is is getting teachers around the word entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and how it's it's 
you, when you hear that word as a traditional teacher, you're like, oh, that's for the marketing teacher. That's not for me. I'm in the wrong room, you know? And, and so it's getting them over that, that hurdle and being like this, this is applicable and, and important for anybody, for all of the people that you teach and for you in your life. And, and it doesn't matter if you go start a business, but these mindsets and these, these skills that you're building are so, so, so valuable. And if you're a teacher and you're, and you're, you're doing some of the real, the components of real with, with students, it's just darn fun. And the kids get so much more out of it and they're so motivated. And so I just appreciate that, that part of it. And I'm glad that, that you've been able to keep this going for so long. Um, one question I have is what is your just ballpark breakdown of audiences like teachers versus workforce versus on a community college educators, what are your, what are your, the kind of the groups that you're training with real still? So we, we are very heavy in the community college space. Uh, community colleges have budgets and public schools very often do not. I'm sure you understand that. Yeah. Uh, and so we, you know, we, we, uh, we find that, that it's very, very difficult dealing with with public schools in terms of the money but toy just like you were saying that that there's a mindset about uh, entrepreneurship that comes from teachers there's a perception about entrepreneurship that comes from administrators too and that is an obstacle uh that is that's a hurdle not only for us but for teachers and for their students uh we were in a school uh, we were sitting with the principal we were sitting with the superintendent we were sitting with the curriculum director in a high school a couple of years ago, and when it, when people around the table start nodding, everybody is nodding, and things are going in the right direction. I, I really like that. And and we were talking about how can we get real into this particular school, and we we were there for thirty minutes, and and uh, they were loving it. And the principal turns to the curriculum director and said, "I just love the sound of this. This sounds so perfect. Why don't we see if we can get this into the shop class?" <laughs> And, you know, my, my initial response was, look, amen, it needs to be in the shop class, but it also needs to be in the biology class. It needs to be in your marketing classes. It needs to be in your math classes. It needs to be in your language classes. It needs when, to be in a gym class. It needs to be in a yeah. gym. We've had, we've had theater instruct. We've had theater teachers, art teachers come through the real program. And what they tell me is, is the reason they want to learn entrepreneurship is because they have a lot of kids who are not going to be on stage. They're going to put together a musical. They're going to put together a huge play or a musical at the end of the year. And there are a lot of kids involved, but only a fraction of those kids are on stage. A lot of them are backstage. They're, they're working the riggings. They're working the lights. They're working the sound. Some of them are in charge of putting together the marketing for the program. Some of them are in charge of, of the ticketing and selling tickets and things. And so how many bodies does that theater hold? How many shows are you going to do? What is it going to cost you for the backdrops? What is it going to cost you for the costumes and all of the things? Is, and if you're doing something like Peter Pan, you're probably going to have somebody flying, which costs money because now you have ropes, you have riggings, you have insurance, and you have to bring in a crew. And look, schools do this. How much does that cost? How many tickets do you have to sell to break even? Because if a, if a theater program starts losing money, I can promise you they're not going to get to do too many productions. And, and so, yes, we, we've had uh, gym teachers and, and everybody, a PE teacher doing this and they love it because it works. 
when, when we look at uh, Western Carolina University, which is right in my back door, uh, it's in Cullowhee, uh, North Carolina, and they have one of the best small college entrepreneurship programs in the country in terms of their undergraduate and their graduate program. They have a master's in entrepreneurship. Of the people who come out of that university and start businesses, a very small fraction actually come through the entrepreneurship program. They have biologists, they have physicists, they have other people in other programs who start small businesses. They're very entrepreneurial, but they don't even get a taste of entrepreneurship education because it's not involved in their program. It's not a component. And so when I see colleges that are running startup incentive programs, they'll, they'll run, you know, they'll offer a prize, they'll have a contest, they'll, they'll pitch competitions and things. And when I see that these are very college of business heavy or very business department heavy, it kind of saddens me a little bit that we're not exposing other people in other fields of study to entrepreneurship. They need to get this. Uh, I used to go into career technology courses at the community college. And I would walk into their cosmetology program where there'd be 30 people sitting there. I'd say, how many of you want to own your own salon someday? About three people would raise their hand. I'm like, oh, the other 27 of you just don't know yet. You're going to be renting a booth space from somebody. You're going to be renting a chair. And you're going to look around one day and say, man, I could do this better. What tools do you have then to go out on your own? You're going to need those. Yeah, that's that's so, so true. And I love the point that you make about it's for everybody. Uh, and because what, what I've experienced with real just in a K through 12 setting um, was that there were always elements of it that could be used anywhere in any classroom. And that was such a cool thing to see because that's what we try to, as entre ed, we try to profess that to everybody like this is not like, again, it's for the gym teacher. It's for the arts teacher. It's for the English language arts. It's for math. It's for, you know, you can find places to use these things in every single area. And it's not going to be the kid who picks entrepreneurship even or marketing and business in high school as a pathway or even in college that's necessarily going to be the one that gets out of college like me looking around with my fancy degree going oh I don't like this at all (laughs) I want to do something else that I'm not beholden to this hierarchy in a corporation so it's it's just everybody needs those skills it's just so valuable and I really like the way that you frame that that's amazing well, we, we want to we want to deal more with with high school, middle school teachers, even elementary teachers. And, and I, I think one of the hurdles that we're going to have in primary education is that uh, entrepreneurship does not happen in a bubble and entrepreneurship education can't happen in a bubble. So you can't have one person who does entrepreneurship. One of the bigger success stories that we had was uh, that we got a grant several years ago and we put 50 teachers through an entire system. Uh, through real. And this was, this was K through eight, this was high school and all disciplines. And what they spent the last two days of the training doing was figuring out how to work together to bring entrepreneurship education into school. So that if the marketing teacher had a project going on that the, the language arts people would help write the business plan, they would help them proofread. Uh, You know, we're going to make sure that all of your sentences makes sense. There's no run on sentences. Your punctuation is good because a lot of colleges now, it's called writing across the curriculum. Uh, my wife actually knocks off points on, on math exams because 
if something is not well written. And people say, but I answered the math part right. Yeah, but you didn't communicate it well. You've got to be able to communicate this stuff. So I think we've got to figure out a way to get schools to not think in, in a siloed way. Um, we, we've been trying to get businesses uh, for years to work interdepartmentally, uh, to break down silos, to increase communication. I think we've got to get schools to do that. I'm not sure what the answer is. Maybe somebody else has that answer. Uh, <laughs> but until until we say uh, this belongs everywhere and not just over in this one little bucket, I don't I don't know that it it's really going to have the effect that we're looking for. I get really salty about this. <laughs> Bring the salt. We, we both Bring the do. Salt. Uh, yeah, like it, it actually it actually grinds my gears a little bit. Um, it's, it's just because it, it would be easier on the teachers if you view it as a, a cross curriculum approach. It would be easier on you sure. rather than thinking you have to go through the whole project. Um, I'll give you an example of a cross curricular approach, and I might have done this on a previous podcast, but Russ, I think you would appreciate it. There's a, a school district in PA that does this cross-curricularly through their elective programs in middle schools. So they have what is like art, tech ed, culinary. Is home, it was home ec when I was in school. Right. I don't know what right. to call it now. But they created that entire wing and they call it a dream factory. And I think they have a computer science or graphic design course or something like that as well. And what they've done is they, in the culinary class, they teach the kiddos how to make chocolate bars and chocolate and different dynamic and flavors of chocolate. And then they go to art class and they design a candy bar wrapper. And then they go to tech ed and they 3D print chocolate molds. And then they go to, um, it's either like a broadcasting or design course and they create like commercials for these candy bars and then they sell them and it goes into other student ventures that are coming out. And so it's like this really cross-curricular approach where instead of, especially in those kind of elective or um, they're not like this, the core subject areas, those electives on the outside, they've really done a good job of integrating those. And then they, they filter down into like the English classes, like you said, around writing the copy, the math classes around finances of it. And it's, they've created this like school-wide approach to it that I think is a really great example of how easily it can be done. It really has to be a culture shift in the school. Like Amber said, we have one um, a school in Morgantown, West Virginia. That's that. Well, we have several one. There's one really great one in Alabama too that have just made the focus of, okay, we're tying everything back to entrepreneurship. So whenever we do project-based learning, whenever we do an experience, we're tying it all back. So it's, it's everyone on board and it's a whole culture. And when you go into a school that's decided to do that, it's the most beautiful thing because that then it is easy. Then it does it it does work like clockwork. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I, I know I know our time is getting short, but I wanted to kind of throw this out there. You know, we have the three day training that we offer, but we also do what are some specialty tracks. Uh, and I know that uh, depending on where teachers are, that these specialty tracks might be valuable to them. We have an uh, agricultural entrepreneurship track. We have a professional craft arts track. We have a home health care track, you know, as an aging society. We have a lot more people who are going to go out and start their own home health care businesses or doesn't necessarily have to be home health care, but you, you get the picture. And we're coming up with a tech entrepreneurship track. We, we have to help students, I think, see the difference between invention and entrepreneurship. There are very few Bill Gates out there who can actually create something and then manage it to it to a large scale. And, and we have to help students determine what point do I need to let go or do I need to just continue to hang on to this and, and ride it myself? Um, we also are uh, finishing up a Native American track. Uh, Native American entrepreneurs face some very different challenges from other 
business startups. They have some governmental red tape that they have to deal with and some other barriers. And so one of the tracks that we offer is a K through eight track. And the the one that I'm leading up to here because of what you were just talking about is we have a a school-based enterprise track that I think we've not really as an organization paid enough attention to. I, I think there are opportunities for us to help schools with fundraising and, and entrepreneurship in ways that are, that are not classroom based per se. Um, several years ago, we had a group that uh, came to us and said, we, we're going to send a youth group to Costa Rica. They're going to install solar panels on schools and public buildings down there and help fix up some homes. And they want to raise money. Well, if if you have kids, you know that there's going to come a time when you're asked to, to, to buy candy bars uh, or to buy wrapping paper or sell wrapping paper. And the parent really just wants to write a check. You know, how big a check do I have to write? to not have to deal with this stuff. And, and then <laughs> so the, true. You're, yeah. you're, you're speaking a gospel now. <laughs> I hate hoagies and, and crispy. I like crispy, oh. but I don't like it shoved down. my throat. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There's only some, I mean, how many boxes of Krispy Kreme can you <laughs> Give eat? Give me the really? amount you need. And I will. <laughs> <laughs> so this group of kids said, we want to be able to sell something that has to do with Costa Rica. We want to raise our own money. So we put them through an abbreviated real program. They decided on Costa Rican coffee. We sourced a local roaster who sold it to us as whole bean and ground. The kids designed their own company name, their own logo, their labels. They determined the pricing. Uh, they would take a 12-ounce bag and sell it for $15. And who, they were responsible for every bag they took. This was not a pre-order thing where you have to wait six months to get the coffee. They, they showed up at the door and said, here's this cute kid with a good-smelling bag of coffee. Who's going to say no? Oh. And they raised over $7,000 to go on this trip. And they got to keep over 60% of what they, what they made, which in terms of fundraising is huge. Because if you think about selling Toblerones or whatever kids say, you know, the, yeah. uh, the rapid bait, they don't get to keep a, a, even a small fraction of, of that. So we said, hey, maybe we're on to something here. We've got groups that need to raise money and they're not happy with the traditional ways of raising money. So let's take the school-based enterprise model that we have and let's turn it into this fundraising model that schools can can use and employ. And kids get a healthy dose of entrepreneurship along the way. And that worked really well. We we tried it in in what we call the Cherokee bubble. You know, we we worked on it several times here in our little laboratory in this community. And it worked great. And then we had one group that came to us and they said, well, we want to do this, but the kids are too busy. So the, the parents are going to handle it and the, the adult supervisors are going to handle this. And we said, it will fail. And it did. I hate being right, and <laughs> especially in this case. But it was kind of like, we told you so. This has to be driven by the students. It has to be led by the students. And the students have to be accountable to the program and to each other. And if, it, if it's not student run and student led, it's not going to make it. And so we're, we're modifying this a little bit to help organizations that want to raise money. And there are three principles. The students have to learn entrepreneurship. They have to find local vendors. It doesn't have to be coffee. It could be chocolate. It could be fudge. It could be popcorn. It could be anything. All parties have to win. So you can't go to a local fudge shop and say, we want you to sell this at a loss so that we can make money. Everybody has to win. So it has to be good for all all the parties. And um, so we're really excited about that. We think that that's kind of a backdoor way to sneak entrepreneurship in 
to schools where where they may be hesitant to to introduce it into a classroom setting uh, into the traditional academic flow, so to speak. I have somebody I need to introduce you to. I did a training in Kentucky last Saturday. And um, at the end of that, we do like a design thinking workshop in the afternoon and they have to come up with a problem in their school or community and like create a co-curricular entrepreneurship project to solve it. And I was just... I kind of stood there with my mouth open when this one group stood up. They were going to have their students create a business selling bear-proof garbage cans because there were so many bears in their community. And they're like, we're on to something here. So, I mean, I like- <laughs> yeah, I was like, my mouth dropped open. I was like, there are that many bears in these woods? But um, yeah, so I might have to put you in touch with them because they were like, yeah, this is like a regular occurrence. These bears are on our playgrounds. We can't let our students out. Like this is something that de- everyone in the community is dealing with and we don't know. And it's very hard to like bear proof. I don't know exactly the dynamics, but it's just made me think of that because they have a real gem of an idea and a real need. And so I think that that would be, I'll just see if I can get you in touch with them, Russ. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd love to talk to individuals have great ideas all the time and those ideas die in the dark because they don't ever write them down. I mean, I, I have great ideas at three o'clock in the morning, but they don't sound so great at six in the morning. And, uh, but you, you put together a group of, of school kids and teachers and they can start to generate these, these ideas together. They become pretty powerful. We had one school in Hayesville, North Carolina that created an eBay business every semester they would sell something different. They, as a class, decided what they were going to, they either make it or they buy it and they sell it. And they had a very successful eBay business. And all the profits went back into funding that program and having a little party at the end of the semester. Uh, so, you, you know, you put a group together, they're going to come up with something that an individual never would. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to introduce you. And I know you'll be at the forum again this year, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, so I'll introduce you to my bear team and I'll introduce you to a couple <laughs> other ones who are doing the bear team. This school-based enterprise, um, I don't know if they're calling it that. They're probably not calling it that or recognizing it for truly what it is, but yeah. In I a can world see so where many bears others. get into your trash. <laughs> <laughs> now we have movie trailers. <laughs> Yeah, so we are, I mean, we're, we are running a little bit short on time, um, and I want to be cognizant of our listeners who listen to this on their 30-minute commute. So is there any, Russ, like final piece, if you had to summarize in maybe like one to two sentences, I'm going to put, this is going to be a challenge. <laughs> what is like the first step that an educator has to take to, to start infusing this in their, in their classroom? Open your mind. Oh, that was easy. He yeah, <laughs> didn't even need two whole sentences. He didn't even pause. I was, I you, get was gold, <laughs> you get a gold sticky star for that. Hey, I, I want to also, um, before we go, I want, Russ, could you tell everybody where they could reach out to you if they want more information, either on Sequoia Fund, Real Entrepreneurship, or even your own personal um, consultancy and training operation? Sure, sure. So Sequoia Fund is a little hard to, to, to spell. And so I'm just going to send everybody to the Real Entrepreneurship org website. Real entrepreneurs. And again, if you're not in the seven county area in Western North Carolina, Sequoia Fund is not going to mean a whole lot to you. Uh, it's not going to be able to benefit you a whole lot. But but real, again, we're we're all over the place and we've, we've been around for over 30 years. And so just R-E-A-L, realentrepreneurship.org. And if you're like me, you misspell entrepreneurship every single time you type it. So uh, 
Spell check we, it. <laughs> yeah, spell check. But we, we, you know, we're there. Well, uh, you're, you'll get a 404 error or something <laughs> uh, that says you're in the wrong place. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, just realentrepreneurship.org. Uh, it's got lists of our the different uh, specialty tracks that we offer, educational tracks. Our program is also uh, certified by several departments of education. I don't know about you know any one particular state, but I know in several states uh, it is it is in the curriculum. Uh, in North Carolina, it is in the community college curriculum. It's classified as a business 280 course. And so a lot of states have, have started looking at that as an option for their community college level programs. Uh, but again, if you're, and I know that the principles of entre ed are that you don't have to be teaching entrepreneurship to teach entrepreneurship. And, and, and if you just need a tool to plug into a 30 minute slot or to, uh, to overlay a, a 50 minute class block or a hour and 15 minute block. If you just need something to do that with, we, you know, it, we have all the tools to be able to do that. I think one of the hurdles and, and we see this uh, not just here, but in, in, in foreign countries as well, we want to do it. We want to teach it. We don't have the tools. We don't know how we, we'll give you the tool. We'll, we'll give you the hammer. If you've got the nail, we're going to give you what you need. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. I think this has been inspiring for so many people and I can't wait to share um, what you're doing and hopefully just keep your collaboration with EntreEd um, going and we'll, we'll continue to send people your way like that are interested in introducing school-based entrepreneurship, you know, community-based entrepreneurship, all different levels that Real provides for different individuals. Yeah, thank well, thank you, you so much for having me. This has been such a great interview. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you too again.